0: This is the second six of, not interviews with writers, more conversations, and trying to listen as carefully as I can to what another writer is saying. It's been a tremendous experience for me because I've been deeply moved constantly with each writer by their willingness to try and answer almost anything you ask. Even if there are no definitive answers, the joy has been in the act of almost reaching a solution and an answer to this mystery of writing. Today I'm talking to, talking with, listening to uh, Louise O'Neill, um, who's written four novels, uh, among them uh, Asking For It and Almost Love. Uh, she's in a very unusual case. Uh, I mean, technically, I suppose she's a young writer, but there's something in her work, like in all the really best work and this most sublime work that's ageless timeless she's one of the number of younger writers in Ireland who for reasons I don't know somebody else can explain it come uh, fully formed fully fledged uh, into the world of writing and who make books that are astounding and overwhelming in their achievement uh, I mean as a as an older writer or is it an old writer I should say now um, I do sometimes in the privacy of my workroom as I read their work, sit suddenly in awe of what they're doing. There is a magical uh, proponent to the fact that somehow or other uh, I've been allowed by fate to talk to Louise O'Neill. When I was astonishingly and unexpectedly made laureate for Irish fiction, and I presume I have been writing fiction, for forty years, it seems to be the case. But then I realised that it was part of part of being a a creature of a, a species that's only been around for two hundred thousand years, mm-hmm. which is quite brief. That I didn't actually know what I was doing exactly. I mean, what it might be. I, you, academics and journalism can tell you a sort of version. They write a version of what we do. They they will. Intuit um, what we might be up to. But you know in academia when they say uh, O'Neill's purpose in this book mm. or Barry's purpose. Well, and we know in our heart of hearts mm. that we had no purpose mm-hmm. other than survive mm-hmm. the strange and sometimes thrilling ordeal of making a book. So it was making me wonder, Do would anyone else know that does the same thing? And even in not knowing that might be, you know, as good an answer as any. And and the question is really, um, do you ever wonder, I mean, we can wonder, we are wondering about the world, that's what we do. So can we also wonder at this strange creature who has this strange impulse and how ancient is it? And does it help us in any way to think of the previous, hominids who Mm. may have been
1: Mm.
0: driven to the same
1: Mm.
0: process and possibly even a process that allowed us to make this strange and possibly perilous and possibly regrettable advance from whatever we were before those women in Africa to to Mm. this thing we are now. You know, what do you do? You ever think about that? Where, um,
1: yeah, I mean, firstly, I love it when um, academics talk about my work because they make me sound way more intelligent. <laughs> like, God, that's such a, and then I start pretending that that was my initial yes. intention and using that in interviews because it makes yes. me sound incredibly um, intellectual. <laughs> that was not the case. Um, it's funny, you know, recently, this is going to be quite a long-winded Please. Um, re- reply, but recently yeah. um, my father and I went to Newgrange um, mm-hmm. together. We've been planning this trip for ages um, yeah. and it was it was an absolutely fascinating um, day and, you know, you're, we went to the, you know, you see all these um, examples of Neolithic. Um, well, they're not sure if it's art or whether it was an ancient form of language or whether that's actually telling a story and we just... I think are unable to uh, decipher it. Mm-hmm. And when we were leaving, I think I really, I began to feel quite ignorant, I think about not just that period of Irish history, but where that sort of lay in relation to, it was global history in a, in a greater context. Um, and I read this book I'm about 10 years behind everyone else with this book, but anyway, um, it's called um, Sapiens. I'm not sure if you've Mm read this. It's by, I'm going to probably butcher his name, but um, Yuval um, Noah Harari. Yes. Um, And I was really struck by this theory that like 70,000 years ago, there was this cognitive revolution and this massive, I suppose, jump in the way that we, we see humans and this... You know, species called sapiens. Mm. They crossed the um, ocean. They settled in um, Australia. The first examples of what we would see as art, um, and they, you know, basically obliterated um, the Neanderthals. And what he sees as, I suppose, the one factor that distinguished them from, let's say, the Neanderthals, mm. was fiction. Was their mm. ability to create stories about things that didn't. That, or don't actually exist or that we have no proof of um, in you know, the natural world. So let's say God, myths, legends. Um, and I think there's something really striking about the idea that what makes us human is the, the ability hmm. to tell stories. Hmm. Um, and I think
0: that's really true. And it, it's, both, it's a leap that created something new but also something catastrophic. Hmm. I mean what strikes me at the age of 64, just even to look at the history of the world in my own lifetime, is that we do have an impulse towards improving and goodness Mm -hmm. and kindness, but it lives cheek by jowl with that other murderous part of us Mm. that wants to seemingly seemingly to destroy everything. Mm. Uh, Even our very surroundings, as if we were anxious Mm. somewhere deep in us to erase the theatre where our children Mm. or our children's children could Mm. live. Mm. is part of the necessity of writing stories then, or telling stories, because writing is such a recent thing, Mm. uh, is it to solace our fellow creatures or is it actually sometimes to discipline them? I mean, I'm thinking of this in particular in relation to your work. Mm. Is it a, a sort of magic, um, alchemical spell to mm. try and fill it out, that
1: mm.
0: uh, dangerous, pernicious part of ourselves?
1: I think it can be both. Mm. I think it can be mm. both. That's you know? the curious thing about yeah, it, isn't it? Um, and... I mean, I, I when, when you say, can it be a solace? Yes. And I think it absolutely mm. can. And I think that not just, and I'll come to my own work, but mm. in my own personal experience, mm. you know, when, when I was a teenager, like we had the internet, but it was, you know, the house computer, this dial up modem that uh, took, I you know, remember. about like five yeah. hours to get going. So I didn't have.
0: I made a sound like an animal. Yeah, yeah. Yes,
1: a kind of screeching yes. sound that's just. Anyway, um you know you're old when you can when you remember what um what that sounds oh, you're so like. Old, yeah. <laughs> um but um I, I suppose I didn't have access to the information that teenagers today have. So I can't, you know, whip out my I couldn't whip out my smartphone and Google am I normal. But I did have a library card and I had parents who gave me a very generous book allowance because mm. they thought that oh. was important, you know. Yeah. Um and it was It was, I think, in the pages of those books that I could find the answers that I was looking for. Mm. Like, for example, maceration was something that girls did not talk about Mm -hmm. um, as teenagers, not when I was growing up in a convent, um, all-girls school. Mm. And it was with Judy Bloom and uh, Deanie and Summer Sisters that I actually was like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one, because Mm. it was always seen as this thing that just boys did, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I suppose when, you know, a teacher gave me a copy of The Handmaid's Tale when I was 15, And that book, it was like it took the blinkers off and it made me understand why I found so many aspects of the world that I was living in problematic. But I didn't have a language with which to articulate myself before I read Mm. that book. Um, And I suppose with my own work, you know, I have people who come up to me at readings and who send me. You know direct messages on social media who send me emails, and they want to tell me their stories um particularly it was with asking for it and about you know mm-hmm. sexual violence mm-hmm. um, or about eating disorders or about you know toxic relationships and and I can see that those books have been a solace to mm. them um I remember after asking for it came out, I got an email from a woman and she said that she had been raped eight years previously um, mm-hmm. and she said, you know, I've been in therapy and my therapist says it's not my fault and my friends tell me it's not my fault mm-hmm. and my parents tell me it's not my fault. And she, so when I put down the book she said for the first time in eight years, I thought maybe it hadn't been. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's like, I don't really have the words. This was to express how, humbling that is mm. um but i think that is the power not not like i'm not trying to be grandiose or talking about no, no, my but own see, work that's your that. true reward yeah
0: because you've engaged at a forensic level without knowing the person mm. with their very being mm. so then a fiction a book of fiction can be uh, like a, a secret machine mm. that you transfer to another person's brain Mm. in order to, yes, give this tremendous understanding, which then Mm. leads to solace. Mm. Maybe as we accidentally solace people, um, we can be careful that we're not taking any easy route to it Mm. because we've had so much bad history in Ireland Mm. um, that I always feel that if you just take on board as much as you can the actual history of your country and of yourself, then there's a moment of enlightenment and then there's a, there's a moment of true freedom. This mm-hmm. country, we're, we're always talking about Irish freedom, mm-hmm. but what the greatest freedoms seem to me to be personal freedoms and uh, freedom finally from our own trauma mm. uh, and feeling that somehow you know you've been given um, a mystical spencer carbine mm. to as a as a defense in the rest of your life You don't, not that you ever fire it but it's there and maybe that's what partly what fiction is doing i mean i'd find it deeply shocking actually that you say that in your convent school mm. there was still no effort made to because I would associate that with with my sister at school mm. in the in the sixties, mm. um, but at the same time, Toby, who's twenty two my son, um, I think he was still finding his school, mm. you know a rural school, mm. unenlightening in regard of what he was, which was this fabulous young gay person.
1: Mm. We didn't have any sex education. Mm. Like, none. Like, someone came in when we were... That's a was disgrace in, though, isn't Oh it? yeah, I mean, when I was in Leaving Cert, which was 2003, and um, we had someone come in to talk to us about chastity. Um, and the that we should stay virgins until we were married. Was this now, a man
0: or a woman?
1: Um, it w- it was a group. They did like little a skits. They did like li- they kind a of acted out group. skits, yeah, of you know basically how terrible it was when they had lost their virginity. And it just felt like, firstly, it was a group of 18-year-olds. So I, I can't for, like, believe this. For 60% of that class, it was it was too late, <laughs> yes. you know, it was like, if you would wanted this conversation, we probably should have had this much younger. But like, there was yes. no mention of, you know, female desire, about um, homosexuality, mm. about, you know, about trans issues. There was about consent, mm. like when we talked about consent, it was the age of consent, not about mm. the idea that you could willingly say, mm. yes, I want to do this, or no, I don't want to do this. Sex was sort of something that just happened to you, yes. I think.
0: In like, short, free. there was nothing about freedom. No. To gainsay desire, in a way, is an effort to to extinguish the most mm. most. It's like a fire hydrant used to extinguish the most important part of us. Mm. Do you think, in a certain way, the making of stories and fiction is is creating a book of maps of desire of human mm. desire, proper in mean, a true desire?
1: Well, I mean, I think for women, the idea of desire is so complicated mm. because we are okay. we are rewarded for. I think controlling our desires, mm. and I think with two of the most primal desires, you know, which is hunger, and um, and which is like a sexual appetite, um, mm. and women have been rewarded for being able to, you know, suppress both of those, you know, to keep yourself thin, and also to keep yourself sort of chaste. Um, and I think that what I what I've been trying to do with my work is to try and be mm. really, really honest mm. um, and show, I suppose, particularly female characters that aren't you know, I suppose a criticism that is kind of levied at them constantly is this idea of whether they're likeable or not. And actually, I'm not really interested in, you know, their likability, but are they real? Are they authentic? Mm. Are they able to express um, their desires in a way that feels honest to me? And if Mm. they're not, how can I suppose interrogate the society in which they live, which is not allowing them the freedom and the space to do that? Because I think that's an issue that most young women you know, will face, and I think mm. it's really helpful to read about that in a book and and because sometimes I think we accept, we accept facets of society that have become normalised and we sort of yeah. just think, oh, well, this is just the way it is. And I think sometimes what's really useful in art is that it it sort of holds a mirror up to maybe the more unsavoury, you know, parts of the world that we have just accepted and said, no, this isn't right, you know, you don't have to Believe in this. You don't have to accept this. You don't have to normalise this.
0: Having written Days Without End myself, mm. it, it created a new world for me where just incredible versions of my son were coming to my readings. Do you know, with beautiful painted nails mm. and and thanking me, and then older gay people who were saying, "Oh, Sebastian, you have no idea what it's been like, and thanks for writing that book," and uh, and it's exactly that. Thing you're talking about where you feel that it's not that you feel immense or, or made greater by this it you just feel recompensed mm. and a sort of strange relief mm. to have managed something and that you haven't entirely wasted yeah. your time
1: yeah well especially when you're taking on a subject like that you know you yeah. want you don't want to i suppose inflict further damage or hurt Absolutely. upon people who have been. Like really hurt by society at large you know it's I think there's a sense of responsibility there you know I think it's it's funny I I was a really really religious child um I I wanted to be a nun for like kind of yes I know I I, then I discovered boys and was like that would be a terrible idea (laughs) um but um I yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) I uh yeah and I I think there was this this massive part of me that just i really believed in this idea of god and this sense of something greater than i was that was guiding me and that was protecting me and that you know was as was leading me through my life and when i when as a teenager i think particularly you know growing up um, in the catholic church i really began to reject a lot of the ideologies you know particularly around abortion and women and you know and gay rights and it was the sex um you know abuse scandals and how they covered them up But as an adult, I think I've spent my entire life trying to find something that will give me that sense of comfort that my faith gave me as a child, whether that's in tarot cards or crystals or yoga or meditation. And actually, I think where I find it most frequently and I suppose most consistently is when I sit down at my desk. Because there's this moment before I start writing when I have no idea what, what I'm going to say or what's mm. going to come, and mm. I humble myself by asking the universe or, you know, whatever is around me to yeah. use me as a channel for this book. And in some ways I think like when the writing's going really well and it's not everyday, when you have that moment of you're you're completely nearly outside of your own body and you've mm. connected to something mm-hmm. and it's it's flowing from you and you look at it afterwards and you can barely remember writing these particular Absolutely. words. That is a moment of the divine. And that doesn't come every day. I really wish, because the writing would be quicker and I think it would be better, but that yeah. moment, I'm like, that's what I've been looking for. I also for. think it
0: makes it wonderfully disreputable in a way because mm-hmm. we take all the credit for these yeah. books.
1: <laughs> you're like, I don't think I've really written this, no. but okay. Well,
0: I, I know for a fact that you know, long swathes, you write the book, you deliver it, you might poke around when you get some notes, but when you have to face the actual task of reading it rather than writing mm. it, when it's in proof, if there aren't long, long stretches I have no memory writing, mm. then I know it's not going to be very mm. good. Now that's, in a way, a frightening paradox mm. because it means you have to be sunk so deep. Yeah into some part of your brain which possibly is connecting up to these enormous distances Mm. i'm so pleased to hear you say that about writing because um i know there are writers i think who plot out their books i'm very interested in plot but i think and as opposed to story but now having been a modernist child as as you might say i realize that there is a a thing called naturally occurring Mm. plot when you're making a book so a part of that sunkenness and part of that escape if it is escape if that's the right word is that these other things can come into play Mm. and the not knowing don't you think is that when you're writing a book the not knowing Mm. what's going on is more important Mm. than the wretched things you do know.
1: I suppose that's because it's in the subconscious and I think that's where creativity lies and, you know, I think the act of creativity, mm. the, the creating something out of nothing, to me, is miraculous. And when I sit down in front of my computer and I have no idea how I am going to create a world and fill it with characters mm. and, you know, I suppose, carve this story that's going to span the pages. But you know the time pages. has come to
0: start. Now, how yeah. do you know that?
1: it's so difficult to predict mm. like when is going to be you know the right time and when it's all going to come together and it's like an impulse and i think yeah. it has to build up um and enough then, energy you know when he
0: does start that first sentence yeah how rich do you feel that day? yeah
1: well it's i mean but again it's looking at that well i try and write like i try and sort of say okay i'm going to write a thousand words a day so mm. when i have that done and it's this moment of It's funny because I'm so impatient with everything else in my life, you know? Like, I'm just... I want instant results. I want instant gratification. And I think one of the greatest things that writing has taught me is patience. Mm. Is this idea of, I cannot do this in a day. I cannot do this in a week. Mm. It is going to take time. Mm. I have to accept that and I have to have faith Mm. that every word that I'm putting down on this page is going to result in the final product, that that a book will be created out of that. And I suppose that is... part of the magic and part of the the faith you you Mm. have to i think you just have to trust Mm. that if you jump
0: Mm. and that
1: will you know will
0: appear and then you have made this thing and i'm I'm glad we're in private here and no one will ever hear me say this but i do think for a good book leaving aside my own efforts it has this kind of sacred quality in the proper sense of the word Mm. it's like the final word and also the first word do you know, in that Platonic sense, mm-hmm. that 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 the the bar is high, mm-hmm. and the stakes are high. Um, so I'm look. This has been all these all the podcasts I've done with my fellow writers has been it's been an enormous privilege, but it's been a, just a joy. Just talking to you.